0: Welcome back to A Study and Think, a podcast where we talk about the beliefs, ideas, and mindsets of our amazing guests. I'm your host, Helam Haymuli. Um, and today I am so excited for our guest. Um, he has graciously given us time to kind of talk to us and share some of his experiences and his story. Um, his name is Steve
1: Rice with Rocky Mountain Hospitality. How's it going, Steve? it's a beautiful day uh, even in almost mid-october so no complaints here awesome so where are you at currently steve we live in north idaho uh, about 100 miles south of the canadian border uh, there's a beautiful resort town cord lane that's our nearest big city if you will and uh, we live outside a tiny old logging town called harrison that's on lake Cordlane and uh, we live in a very rural area, a uh, couple of miles up the river. Okay, great. And um, I assume that that is not where you started. Is that true? For the most part, started in Pocatello, Idaho, a city of about 60,000 now. Um, uh, my father was a professor at Idaho State University and rose to the ranks of uh, vice president of academic affairs. Um, As a young man, I uh, lived in Salt Lake for about a decade, had a great experience there, and then had an opportunity to move back to uh, Pocatello uh, through an employer. And then uh, when my wife and I started doing our own thing, we could live where we chose. uh, We chose North Idaho.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, So I I shared with you uh, this little tidbit, but um, I actually have some... Um, history with Pocatello. My wife is from Pocatello and her family's still there and we, we lived there for a while um, and we love it. love Pocatello. Um, do you still have family
1: there or any sort of ties that take you back? I do. Most of my family's there. My mother is uh, turned 90 yesterday and she's in good health and lives awesome. in uh, uh, Pocatello. Father passed uh, unfortunately away several years ago. I, both my sister's are in Pocatello uh, and then love the community. It's uh, uh, hundred years ago, it was a railroad town. Now I would suggest it's more of a university town um, and there is good employment there, nice place to live, great outdoor activities. And so we still enjoy going back to visit family and, yeah. and uh, being involved with the university.
0: Awesome. So I want to actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I want to put a pin in this real quick. We'll come revisit uh, Pocatello and kind of the beginning, but I want to sort of fast forward real quick and give a background on who you are, what you do. Rocky Mountain Hospitality is is your company. Um, tell us a little bit about that.
1: It's about 20 years old now and and perhaps even a bit more than that. Uh, my wife and I started Uh, with the acquisition of a small economy hotel uh, with Rocky Mountain Hospitality. Prior to that, we had some real estate assets, uh, small ones, both in Salt Lake and and in Pocatello. Uh, But we bought a a property uh, after I had been working as a general manager for uh, other hotel groups and bought one and said, you know, that wasn't so hard to do. Maybe we could do that again (laughs) and sort of sort of uh, repeated the formula and uh here we are some 20 plus years later uh with a dozen assets uh 11 of which are modest hotels um and one of 80 unit apartment complex awesome
0: um so i was doing a little research and there is a uh, news article that came out about you and your wife and your company uh back in 2012 um Let's see, talking about your acquisitions, uh, let's see, at the time you employed 100 people and then it said, and likely to hire another 20 um, this upcoming summer. Um, So how big is the company now?
1: We at any one time typically have a couple hundred employees. You know, we peak as do most hotels in this region. We peak in the summer, have to put a little additional staff on then, Uh, Uh, winters. Winters can be a bit more quiet, although we do have uh, property in Kellogg, Idaho, and one in Sandpoint. Both of those are very near to, to ski resorts, so uh, they stay strong. Uh, but, you know, the ballpark, we're going to have at any one time, a couple hundred employees working for us. And uh, uh, that's both in Idaho and Montana. Okay. So a couple then, hundred total.
0: Okay, great. And then um, if you... Uh, if you don't mind kind of sharing sort of your um, because you talked about you know you being able to move wherever you'd like to kind of live have the freedom to enjoy the lifestyle that you want where you want um if you don't mind sharing um even just like um rough numbers of your income level to kind of show that uh you know what level people can kind of expect or um, can kind of aim for
1: you know it's i remember meeting a uh individual that had a couple of subway franchises some 20 years ago well before i was even starting and and what he said was well steve you know you can you can have one subway and uh if you work it you can make a decent living so but to really start to uh enjoy the the fruits of your labor you have to have three of them Uh, and this was quite some time ago and and we found very much the same thing. Uh, when Cynthia and I first started on this, we met a gentleman that was selling a hotel. He was a fine gentleman. He was kind of at the point of life that he was ready for him to retire. And he was selling a hotel that he had had for some 40 plus years. He didn't have much to sell. It was an old property. Uh, it, was, it was dated and, and we told ourselves we didn't ever wanna get stuck in that position because it could easily happen. So what we knew was that uh, just like, you know, with him as an example and my friend with the subways that our goal would be to have a, a couple, you know, two or three different hotels or similar assets, yeah. um, being in different markets, hedges your risk, um, and it wouldn't have all our eggs in one basket. So, uh, so that was the initial goal. And uh, we thought, you know, if we could, if we could make $300,000 a year. That would be more money than we could ever spend, and far more than we would need to live on. And that's the case. Um, yeah. we We do more than ten times that now in our net income. It's excess money. Yeah. It doesn't make you any happier. We yeah. just have had that level of success. But to get there, you have to change your skill set from being the guy running the subway yeah. to managing people running your subways for you. And that was a great uh, time of of growth for us. And we have found ways to do it successfully. And you do it through respecting your team members, appreciating that they're the ones on the front line. They're the ones fighting the battles, uh, giving them the support that they need. And we found that to be a formula for success for us.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um, Okay. So there's a couple things. Uh, A couple awesome things that I wanted that kind of came to my mind as you were talking um, that I would love to hit on Uh, one of those being so, you know, you understand that, you know, money is not the thing that makes you happy, you know, and that's that's a great realization because I think there are people out there that, you know, the focus is so uh, strong on the money because they feel like that's the way out to be happy, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But you talked about how you have a lot of excess. Can you touch on sort of what you did to for the I at Idaho State because that was one of those things, at least in my mind, that kind of shows that you know this is what you do with your money when you have excess.
1: It was a defining moment for us, and now um, there is a theory that I read decades ago, and it said here is one way to to create wealth in real estate: buy a rental every year for 20 years then sit on them for 20 years and then sell one a year for 20 years and and you say well one a year i, I could probably pull that off if i if i worked it well we did that but in a little bigger game of monopoly instead of you know houses or, or duplexes it was with hotels yeah. so for about 15 years we did a major transaction here now some were were sales that we we then took the money and got a larger asset, et cetera, et cetera. But in the end, you know, we ended up with with uh, a dozen major assets. But Cynthia and I got to a point that we and and really the concept is when is enough enough? And we got to the point that enough was enough. We uh, bought a, a very large piece of land, built a, a lovely home on it because up until that point we lived comfortably we traveled with our our family Uh, but a lot of our net income was reinvested Uh, and that's how you go from one property to a dozen Um, it doesn't mean you have to you know live without the things that you might desire but but in the end we chose to uh, reinvest the vast majority of our income we got to a point and said well with each property you acquire, it takes a little more time and time started becoming more precious than the additional funds. We said, okay, this is enough. So we're now to a point that these are good assets that we have, they're, gonna, they're going to produce for very long periods of time if we manage them properly. Um, so we don't need to necessarily be growing the company anymore. Now, for a lot of people, the growth is the game and I respect that, that's, that's yeah. their satisfaction. Um, But for us we had gotten to the point that that we wanted to enjoy the fruits of our labor a little bit more. That was a nice place to be. Um, But one of those things, you know, Cynthia and I talked about the things that we believe in. Um, You know, she said to me, well, you know, you don't have to wait until you die to have the, the things you believe in benefit from your money. Oh, and, said, you know, that sounds and it, like a genius, <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was a, it was a good, it was a good moment for us because we had our <laughs> wills done and, and there are beneficiaries of, of the causes that we support. Well, uh, she was right on the money there. Yeah. Um, so I went to ISU, as I mentioned earlier, my father was the academic uh, vice president there at, at the culmination of a 30 year A career with them both my sisters have degrees from ISU it's a it's a great university in Pocatello there had been an eye on a hill right at the side of campus a very large eye and it had been there virtually for a hundred years a lot of history to it we don't need to go into but (laughs) for all intents and purposes it had eroded and it was unsafe and so they had to tear it down and it was kind of one of the icons in the community. It's, it's yeah. was very visible from many areas. And it, it was unfortunate it got torn down, but we understood why it did. At that time, the university was very focused on getting a uh, school of medicine established okay. so that we can actually have doctors. And so they focused, were focusing on the school of medicine and that's where the, the excess capital needed to go because they didn't know where it might happen. Um, That project was good for ISU, but even better for the state of Idaho. What you know is that the state that educates your doctors, they're more likely to stay there and every state needs more doctors. The school ended up being in Meridian, didn't quite have the capital outlay that it might've had. That also works for ISU and the state of Idaho. Um, But there was an interim period that Idaho State University got a bit behind on some of its capital projects, and the I was one of them. Okay. Um, when the medical school got established, uh, a new president, Kevin Satterley, came in, uh, a fantastic individual. Um, he was given the task from the state board and his own feelings on starting to get the university put back into the proper shape that it, it needed to be in, and the I was one of the projects. Uh, we heard about the interest uh, I contacted um, the director of giving, uh, Kent Tingy at that time, who had been with the university for decades and and was a friend. He had me contact uh, Stuart Summers in marketing. I told Stuart that uh, I wanted to buy a vowel and a little bit later, lo and behold, I'm buying the eye uh, to put (laughs) up on the hill. And it, it was a great example for my sons to learn about philanthropy. The community uh, appreciated it. It doesn't matter who did it. It just matters that the eye is back. And yeah. uh, it's a great icon for that community.
0: Uh, do you have other um, philanthropic uh, endeavors that you've also been involved in in Idaho?
1: Um, that's been the major one. We've, we've supported a scholarship fund uh, for students at ISU for over a decade now. Cynthia is very involved with... Uh, Uh, some church activities and and projects that uh, she likes to support. And I'm going to go, uh, it's homecoming next week at ISU. I'm going to take a hard tap tour of the new alumni center. And they're still looking for some donations for that facility. And I have been told that the hardest thing to raise money for, for university is a building that's already been built. So (laughs) we may struggle a bit uh with the final aspects of getting some funds put together for that facility uh so i'm excited to go uh, take a hard hat tour there and and see what naming opportunities or other uh areas of opportunities there might be so um, i'm a huge fan of education Um, education changes lives it offers opportunity to those that are willing to help themselves and, uh, so I, I would be surprised to not see that, uh, I continue my involvement with that. And I, you know, sit on the foundation board at ISU and, yeah. and, uh, have all the respect for the, uh, institution and want to remain
0: involved. So, um, as you're, as you're speaking and, and what you've shared so far has been amazing. Um, you know, I'm thinking you, you making, um, enough money to, to donate, um, you know, a, a giant letter on the side of a mountain to a university. You know, um, you have all these things, you have hotels and, and everything that you're involved in, and um, you know for for a lot of people, this seems like something that is out of reach, like a life that is um, that one can only dream about. Do you think that you are an exceptional individual uh, that you have a skill set that you know nobody ever no one else could possess ever, or uh, would you consider yourself pretty ordinary?
1: I think everybody has their strengths and weaknesses uh and and i'm the same if you were to ask what my specific strength might be i'm pretty good with numbers um, numbers speak to me like a second language okay um you know let's 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 look at it in that aspect when people learn a second language some people always have to think in their main language and then translate into a second language before they can speak their second language that's very yeah. common others Others learn to think in the new language uh, in addition to their their main language. Um, Numbers are like that for me. I I can see them. They come together very easily for me. That's not an extraordinary skill, but it's one of my strengths. Um, Everybody has a strength. So if you want to be an entrepreneur or you want to be successful working for uh, someone else's organization, and both are honorable, you have to find what you're good at, but okay. find what your strengths are. So okay. my strength isn't extraordinary; it's simply my strength. And I found an industry that would benefit from that. And at first, I worked for others. I ran hotels. I, I started actually waiting tables in college, got out, and restaurants yeah. is kind of what I knew. So I ran restaurants for people, and then I got into the hotel business and. Then one day I said, you know, I think we could probably do this on our own. Yeah. So nothing was extraordinary. Um, but I focused on what my strengths were. And that's, I think, the key to anybody's success. Okay. And so, everybody has some sort of strength. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, so for you personally,
0: how did you discover this strength? Or, you know, when did it happen? Was it difficult? Um, you know, t- tell us about just how you discovered what your strength is, because that's important for people. And if they can understand how to do that, um, then, you know, more people can be successful.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I knew all along and, you know, in school that, that math came easy for me. Oddly enough, memorizing didn't, I would be the world's worst actor. What? I could not, you know, and we are all in plays and stuff. We were in school. I couldn't remember my lines, you know, not my <laughs> strength. Right? Um, but I knew that math was good. The question is at, at what point did that translate into um, an opportunity to, you know, in business? And I would suggest that that was when I was uh, working hotels. I was, worked with the uh, great group, Kaler, uh, in hotels, both in Park City and uh, Salt okay. Lake, and then took a GM's job with them up in Pocatello, which was a great opportunity for me to kind of go home, and uh, realized how easy the budgets were for me, easy okay. to remember, easy to notice that something was out of line. Uh, budgets, you know, some people would say are the language of business, Okay. And in our business, our financial controls uh, have been part of what have allowed us to be successful. We we see um, both into the past, the present and the future. Uh, that way you, you know if times are looking difficult, you know what type of reserves you've got, you know, that you can make improvements in. Um, and you also can talk to bankers. And if you're going to borrow money, you need to be able to talk to bankers. And if you're going to buy real estate, you probably need to borrow money and to be comfortable with debt. Um, And you're not going to be comfortable with debt um, unless you've got a good grasp on your numbers and what you think the future will hold. Okay.
0: So, um, So just based on what you're saying, sort of my interpretation is you you sort of knew just based off of your experience in school that you were pretty good with math and then through your job experience you started um what's the best way to say this you um gained more confidence in your ability to work with numbers because of just the you know you had to work with spreadsheets and stuff like that in your job is that is that
1: correct yeah and then in fact i was when i was down in salt lake um, and I was still a young enough man, I was around 30, trying to decide, you know, what I wanted to do in life. And uh, uh, I enrolled in uh, Westminster, uh, an outstanding private college down there. In fact, I think there's soon to be a university down there in Salt Lake, got into their MBA program, uh, took it with accounting emphasis, and thought I would probably join an accounting firm. Uh, and it was because i sense that strength that that I'm not gonna say it was easy for me, but with effort I could be good at it. And it was an area that that I thought I could excel at. Uh as I went through that program, an outstanding program, uh got my degree. By that time I had had uh, some nice growth in my career with uh Kayler, the hotel group, and they had sent me uh up to Pocatello to be a GM and and it was up there that we decided we could do it on our own. But uh, okay. it was very much I identified that that numbers were a a language I could speak and then I went and got additional education uh, to strengthen that skill.
0: Okay okay so it's a it's not a quick process by any means it sounds like kind of a slow thing where you sort of just pick up things as you go and then
1: it has been for us and uh, you know the there have been so many overnight riches made on the internet that I yeah. fear that that many young people now think that, that, that that's the way it should be. That if you don't get rich overnight, you're not going to. And and there are overnight sensations like that and overnight riches that are available. What Cynthia and I knew, and, and I knew even before we met, was there could be a long, steady path. And that that seemed more plausible for me. And, and it wasn't going to be overnight riches, but you could build wealth. Yeah. and that was always the goal and so that's that's what we pursued
0: yeah and i mean i think um i think you're correct in thinking that there's a lot of young people that are you know deceived by this notion that riches can be made very quickly and i think um at least from my observations it's more of a marrying like the the success comes from um you know preparation until the opportunity comes and then that's when you can sort of capitalize on it. But you know, building the skills and the knowledge takes a lot of time and it takes effort and it takes um, dedication, at least from, you know, from my experience and sort of what I've observed from other people. And I think that's the right mindset. Like you, you should expect that.
1: You're a thousand percent right. And, and maybe you're in one of those industries that you can you know, hit the single home run and, and you win the game. But those are pretty rare. Yeah. Um, that there are numerous opportunities, particularly in, in, the greatest nation in the world, in my opinion, yeah. that if you are willing to do the work, you're, you can handle a little bit of fear, you know, and, and yeah. be able to step outside the mold, um, uh, that there is still, uh, bountiful opportunity. Uh, and the secret is to find your strength. What are you yeah. good at? What's interesting for you, you know, and, and if, if, you know, numbers were interesting for me and, and managing people uh, was interesting for me, then it's not really work. And yeah. then it's pretty easy to be good at it and then hopefully be successful at it because you're enjoying it.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's something you said that I that sort of piqued my interest. Um, you were 30 when you when that like at that junction point when you decided to go to Westminster and sort of uh, double down on your skill that you believed you had with math um that that's what you said right Is about 30 is when that happened okay um so that's interesting because I'm I'm 30 years old right now and I think there's a lot of people with um in my generation that have kind of been experiencing this experiencing the same things where at about 30, I hit a point where I, I wasn't doing what I thought I'd be doing at 30. And, um, you know, I didn't have like, you know, I wasn't like a millionaire by 30. And, um, you know, I decided that I there were some things that I had to, to do differently. And I really rededicated myself to trying to improve my skill sets, my mindset, and um, really tried to to bet on myself more and sort of the things that i felt i was good at and then sort of just move forward and then take the opportunities as they came but 30 sounds pretty late and i had sort of like a uh not like a midlife crisis a quarter life crisis um so i'm, I'm wondering <laughs> you it sounds like you sort of maybe did sort of the same thing like 30 is not that it's old but it's i think it's older than what a lot of people of my generation are expecting to actually then you know to really begin your journey
1: well i think your point's really well taken and and the 30s are are an extraordinary decade because you're an adult and can be taken as as an adult at that point but i mean who do we who do we see that's successful Well, we see LeBron and and we see, you know, all these people that are 22 years old and internet wizards and so you think oh I missed the boat. No, you didn't miss the boat at all. I, I wasn't even prepared prior to that to, um, to lead now I had now in my 20s right out of college a partner and I bought uh, a Tavern, and then that went pretty well for us and we bought a nightclub. major employer through a recession closed their doors lost them both you know so here i am at 27 and i've had two failed businesses well you know what i have done better had i been in my 30s Uh, there are some temptations in your 20s when you're running a nightclub that you probably (laughs) could turn your back on in your 30s maybe but big picture the market soured you know yeah. I wasn't the only one that lost business in that. It was a, it was a difficult time for that community. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's never too late. Okay. You you can't turn back the hands of time. Mm-hmm. You can only make the most of whatever time you have left and whether you're 30, 40, 50, um, there's always time for opportunity and you're never too late to start something that looks appealing and that you want to be involved in.
0: Okay. Um, so, at 27, when both of those businesses failed, um, was your mindset like, are you just naturally like, ah, eh, it is what it is, I'm gonna move forward. Or was there like a period where like, ah, crap, what am I gonna do now? And then maybe scrambling a little bit before
1: picking it back up and moving forward? Um, it was It was a rough time, but I have the blessing of having family. So I knew I would always have a place to live. Okay. And would always have food in my stomach. That's, okay. that's a blessing. Not everybody has that blessing. Yeah. And, and it makes it a little more difficult to turn your back on the paycheck and go do your own thing. And I'm aware of that. You know, yeah. I, I had some privilege there. Um, but I went down to uh, the, the market was so horrible in Pocatello at that time. I went down to Salt Lake. I got the first job I could get, which was selling tickets to a circus for a fundraiser. Okay, that was your job. And that was my job. And it was horrible. Um, But I got a job. I got a job quick. And uh, the first one I could get that I said, okay, I can afford to have a little studio apartment and and get back on my feet here. Uh, Within a matter of of a month, I got a uh, job with a one of the leading restaurant groups in that market. Two months later, they had an opening for a GM. And there we go. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I've had bumps in the road, but they just, you just push reset and start over. Um, The only thing that would have kept me from doing that is poor health. And I've always had good health. And if you've got good health, then there's no excuse to not be out there making a success of yourself.
0: Okay. So after Salt Lake, you and you took the GM job, moved back up to Pocatello for. A little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, mm, let's see, I'm trying to think if I want to go here. Um, what was your experience going back to where you started? And uh, yeah, how, how was that whole thing?
1: <clears throat> it was fun. Um, I took over the large uh, hotel convention center in Pocatello, largest property, took it over as general manager. I had, when it opened, uh, some 20 years prior I was a waiter in their restaurant going to college okay. and okay. some of the people still worked there which was crazy <laughs> so um, it was an outstanding experience and it was during that time period that uh, my wife Cynthia and I uh, purchased a small 54 uh, room hotel in town right across from campus and okay. for a while Um, I kept my job with uh, uh, the group that that owned the hotel there in town and along with about 30 other hotels they owned. And we owned the uh, uh, new property that we just bought. Um, I bring that up because there are entrepreneurial opportunities that a person can initiate while still keeping the steady paycheck, paying the bills. Okay. And that's what we did. Uh, We had, uh, I had had a a big beautiful home in salt lake right on state street going up to the Capitol, all those big old yeah. houses there. Well, I bought it when nobody wanted them. Nobody, I bought it for $5,000 down. Nobody wanted those things then. Well, <laughs> 10 years later, they were the thing. Yeah. And so uh, sold that bought a, a 30 unit uh, apartment complex in Pocatello because I didn't need as big a house in Pocatello as the funds would have provided. Uh, so there's another example of of yes had a nice home in pocatello but had a one-time investment opportunity uh could have bought a ferrari bought an apartment complex instead yeah and and that started it for us um we managed cynthia and i managed the apartment complex uh, the evenings weekends um were able to buy the hotel and then um, a new owner came into the hotel that i was running and said, uh, we understand that you own a hotel on the other side of town. And I said, well, yeah, I do. So, "You know, it's a tiny hotel and this is the biggest one. We don't compete. They said, yeah. well, we're kind of uncomfortable with that. So um, we'd like you to transfer to Boise or perhaps sell your hotel. And I said, I'll take door number three. We're gonna go do our own thing. So that was, that was our moment that we jumped from part-time investors Pulling paychecks to took the leap and became full time entrepreneurs. Now, Cynthia still stayed. She was a marketing director with a, a large financial group in the market. She stayed with them um, oh. for a few months. And what we found was I had newfound freedom. Doesn't mean I wasn't working a lot, but if yeah. I needed Tuesday off, I can take Tuesday off. But you're only as free as your spouse in a lot of those things. Okay. So, she made the jump we said you know if you were here selling hotel rooms you'd probably make at least as much or more than you're making with your financial group that you're working for and then we said i I think we're ready to take the leap okay uh she did and uh it was the right move great so um there are
0: there are a couple things that again you're making me think of all these questions and and awesome things um so for you we're gonna rewind back to Uh, when you sold the house in Salt Lake and decided to buy units in Pocatello. Um, Was the temptation there still to blow the money on something extravagant, like a car, like something? Um, And, you know, what what was your mentality in being able to choose, you know, the long-term benefit rather than, you know, the short-term instant gratification thing?
1: It has never been that much of a temptation because but you you buy you know money is about purchasing utils of satisfaction and certainly there's utils of satisfaction in a bigger home or a vacation or a new car but for us there was also great utils of satisfaction from growing our business and what that brought to us that was stronger for us so it wasn't it wasn't a difficult sacrifice it was Look what we could do with the money. look what it would do for us long term isn't this exciting okay okay
0: um yeah, I think that's difficult for some people or maybe even more people than I realize to to really distinguish you know which is the better option in reality and I think that's that's a good way to probably um you know compare the two and um obviously it's it's been a huge benefit to you and your wife and your your guys' um success story. Um and then the other thing is when the uh hotel gave you the ultimatum of you know option one or two, you decided to do option three. Um is that are you typically the kind of type of personality to be like, no, I'm gonna make my own options because there are people that would choose one or the other, you know, and they kind of get stuck in <laughs> either of those frames. But you made your own option.
1: It's One of the biggest secrets in life is to not let someone else define what your options are, because they're telling you what their options are. Okay. Um, So you have to be able to take a step back and truly assess uh, the situation and whether it's minor or major. And for us, obviously, that was major and really look at what your options are. Um, and, you know, we were in a position to, uh, be able to take the leap. If we hadn't, if we weren't, uh, uh, firm in our commitment to be able to do that, then that would have altered our options, but they still yeah. would have been our options and not someone else's. Okay. So was that
0: an intu- intuitive thing for you that you've always just had, or did you have to learn to make your own options? Because... Um, like in my experience as a parent, this is a parenting tactic that I use with my kids where I say, do you want to eat your dinner or um, go to bed? You know, like I give them one or the other. That's a terrible example. Uh, but I give, I give them two options so that they can feel like they're choosing, you know, what they want. Um, but I do have one of my three kids. She's the third option type of person where I try that tactic with her and she's like, no, I want to stay awake and eat candy. Like, that's, that's what I choose. And it, it makes me laugh. Um, so that's why I kind of think, you know, is it an intuitive thing? Or was it like a learned experience for you to finally, you know, to develop that skill into creating your own option?
1: It's interesting. I've never, I've never reflected on, but I would have to say it's intuitive. Okay. I, I would suggest that, that um, as a manager, one of your great skills that you try to develop is to make your own assessment of a situation. You you can't always believe what you hear. And so you have to take a step back and say, well, this is probably what's really going on. You're not always gonna be right, but I think you're gonna be more right than if you just kind of say, well, that's what they said, so that must be it. So it's kind of the same concept. Um, You have to take a step back, ask what is congruent with your goals, Uh, your beliefs and what you think will be successful and realize that that other people's options or comments or directives may not be all inclusive of all of the options maybe they're doing it in their best interest and i don't fault that from someone or maybe they just simply hadn't thought that there was a door number three okay okay um All right. How have, uh, this is
0: a question I sent you. um, How have relationships played a significant role in your success? So whether that's, you know, relationship with your wife, relationship with uh, peers, employees, what have you, um, what role has that played in your success?
1: It's 90% of the game. You you can't do this on your own. 90%. So um, yeah, I think as I shared in the beginning, uh, knowing that I had a, a family that if I went out and and took a non-conventional path, I'm not gonna be homeless, I'm not gonna be hungry. Um, That doesn't mean that as I started a family that I wasn't responsible, but it's just, it's always, I've always known that I had that worst case scenario is better than some others might have, and that's a great blessing. Um, Then, you know, Cynthia and I uh, have worked as partners now for over 20 years and, All marriages have complications. Well, yeah. throw a business partnership into it <laughs> and it does not lessen those complications. And you have to divide divide between a disagreement about business and, and that's not your marriage. Um, and two partners, if they don't disagree about some issues from time to time in business, then you're going to leave things on the table because everybody's yeah. you know too singularly focused. Okay. Um, so that relationship has been the most important in terms of the growth of our company. And we've been successful in, in dividing and conquer the, the leadership duties. Um, our relationship with our banker. We've had the same banker, we've gotten all but one of our loans for these 20 plus years from the same banker. He has during that time period been with three different regional banks. We have to stayed with him. Yeah. And and for the last decade, it can just be a call up and say, hey, we, we've found a new asset. And uh, this is the kind of money we'll want. And, and we're sitting and we're talking millions of dollars in hotels yeah. where the money is there within, you know, as little as 30 and, and 60 days. So that's been important. And then the final thing that's important is our relationship with our team members. Um, trust, respect, um, trying to, uh, to sympathize with their challenges, uh, yeah. let them know that we appreciate what they do for us. So any one of those relationships sours. Okay. And we struggle. Yeah. So, all um, key relationships.
0: So, is there like a, a roadmap that you kind of, or I guess a, a template that you use that can apply to all of these different types of relationships in order to make them work? Or is it just like you figure it out with each one? It's all case by case type of situation
1: there are some basics in management. Um, and uh, I have uh, two sons that just uh, graduated from college and in, in very different paths one in fashion, one in hospitality. Oh, and, yeah. and I know that they teach uh, management courses, and then there are concepts in management that are important, but at the end of the day, to manage people, it's a boots on ground situation, okay. you know, and, and you're right then. And, and you manage different people to manage everyone. The same would be naive because people aren't the same. Um, But, but everyone appreciates respect. Everyone appreciates uh, being Mm -hmm. acknowledged for what they did. Uh, Those are the easy ones. The hard ones are how they deal with discipline, you know, and and how they deal with with discussing failure. And and you have both in business, you have good months, you have bad months, you have good years, you have bad years. So um, those things are something that your skills develop. And I continue to develop. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been managing people for over 40 years, Um, but people change. And so my skills had better change. I can't manage (laughs) a 30 year old now, like I managed one 20 years ago. They have different different goals, different aspirations, and different views of life. And so you have to continue to change and continue to develop and alter your skills and your management of others if you want to be successful.
0: Okay. Um, and then I want to hit on just a little bit, your your marriage and your business relationship with your wife. Um, I've surprisingly, now that I'm thinking about it, I've, I know quite a few people who go into business with their spouses and, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, probably a good majority of them seem like they, they do really well. Um is there, was there like a time period where you were like, I don't know if this is going to work. Like maybe let's just be married and forget about business partners. Um, were there challenges that you had to overcome in order to to be able to do that? Or was it pretty like, um, pretty easy to, since you already have this relationship in marriage, just make a couple adjustments and do the same thing in business?
1: Um, there was never a time that, we thought this isn't working. This isn't healthy for us. Okay. Um, there was never a time that it was easy either. Okay. <laughs> um, it, it requires attention. It, you're it, a good example. Um, if, if a husband and wife have different careers and they come home and, and the husband can talk about his day and, and how this person did this, this person did that. Oh my goodness. You know, had a bad day <laughs> and the wife can talk about her day and and okay. And you sympathize.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then you probably have dinner and and move on with the uh, uh, when you have the same essentially job,
0: yeah,
1: and it's with the same company, and that company is so close to your family, you can't leave it really. Um, I could come home and complain about something, and Cynthia would think, Oh, god, that's that's my aspect, you know. I've, I've traditionally, Cynthia took uh, revenue you know, okay. sales, all that. I took operations and finance. Okay. Okay. So I see, oh, I come home, I say, oh, we're just having a horrible month in, you know, one of our markets. And so she's thinking, oh, that's, you know, my sales. Da da, da da Well, that wasn't the point of the conversation, but yet that's how it can be seen. Okay. So you have to, you have to acknowledge that in my opinion, when a husband and wife work together, Cynthia and I did as good a job as we could on dividing areas of responsibility. Okay. Um, And so that's important. And also for our team members, then they knew who the boss was on that issue. And that was important. You know, you don't want to think, oh, "Oh, Steve told me to do this and Cynthia told me to do that. What am I supposed to do? We wanted to to have as little of that as possible because that's not healthy for your company. Um, And so um, and then to realize, again, that a disagreement about business is not a disagreement about marriage. I'm not sure if any marriage could handle that. You have disagreements in marriage, you have disagreements in business. You better not stack them on top of each other if you want either environment to be healthy. Okay,
0: so do you recommend uh, having a wife or a spouse as a business partner?
1: If you share the interests and Cynthia and I did. Yeah, this is something we both wanted to do. Um, And it's worked for us uh and the benefits you know still the initial benefit is the freedom even if we only made what we would make if we were you know still working for the man um the freedom has been the biggest life changing element that that you don't have to wonder if you can get to the kids volleyball game you know yeah. if you can take that time off and we've been able to take uh magnificent trips uh, with our sons and and help them to see the world. And we live in rural North Idaho. Not a lot of diversity up here, and and yeah. and not a lot of of big city environment. So we wanted to expose them oh, uh, cool. to that. And and all that was made possible uh, because of our entrepreneurship and the flexibility of the schedule. I don't want to make it sound like we didn't work much. We worked a bunch, yeah. but um yeah, but it wasn't it didn't feel like work okay you know it's just i'm not a, i'm i am not ai am i do not play video games i don't watch a lot of tv cynthia doesn't do either yeah. uh, this is what we did with our time and we did it because we enjoyed it okay. never felt burdened by it
0: awesome so um from the time period of you know uh, cynthia moving over and you guys finally working together in this industry and um you know the success afterwards what were some of the uh were there any challenges that you had to overcome in that time span to really
1: be successful we had a plan and we worked it and we had some good fortune uh the good fortune was let's say before the uh 07-08 real estate turned down yeah prices had gotten high for hotels And so even though we've been kind of buying an asset every year, we didn't for a couple of years. Well, it's because the prices were, they seemed too high and I think, well, if they always stay high, we're going to miss the boat. But you know that when you buy a business, you can calculate what sort of income it's going to generate and what you can pay for it. We didn't buy during that time period. Well, that was wise. The prices were inflated. Um, we have always been conservative. Well, not always. Um, Our first two properties, uh, the little one that we we talked about and then we bought another full service property in Pocatello, they needed to go well. We had had rolled the dice, but we were confident enough based on our our numbers and our knowledge of the market that we were right. Um, So those went well for us. And then uh, unbeknownst blessing, the university there were two hotels that we could we competed with one other hotel right by the university okay. well one day the vice president of finance uh came in and said steve got some good news we just bought the hotel next door for student housing that was a good day um <laughs> and and, I, and he said you know bob said then he said you know steve i hope someday uh when you're successful you'll remember the university and and we have done so okay um, but we always grew conservatively okay. um, and we never lied to our banker because your banker, you know, you might think, Oh, the bank doesn't want to loan any money. They, they can't see this as a good deal. Banks are in the business loaning money. They want, yeah, money they want to loan money and they know yeah. a good deal and they know a deal that's too close to the edge. Um, so we were always honest. And I remember my banker saying, you know, Steve, you're one of our very few clients that when you turn in these prospectus, when you're getting a loan, you end up doing better. Well, that's because I always looked at and looked at conservatively what we were very, very high level of confidence we would do. OK, so we didn't once we got the first couple under our belts and then it was a little tight then. Then after that, we grew conservatively. Um, okay. And so then when the downturns came, even COVID, we were OK. I'm not saying great. Yeah. I'm saying we were okay. I, I had a good friend in the real estate business tell me some 20 years ago uh, because he had moved to Sun Valley and it didn't go well there and had to start over. He said, Steve, you got a good start. Don't put yourself in a position that you're going to have to start over. And okay. uh, those were wise words. And uh, we have followed that. And now uh, we liquidated a major, one of our major properties um, early this year and okay. took the proceeds from that and paid off all of our debt that's a good place to be
0: yeah um so were you never tempted to like roll the dice
1: not once we not once we got established we had two properties uh when we bought the second one we we rolled the dice on it, but we were just so sure that it was underperforming significantly um and then after that we could have lived comfortably those two assets. Okay. And why risk losing it? You know, how would our life would have, how would our life have changed? So, uh, from that point on, uh, we made sure we were in a good uh, liquidity position before we would purchase. We'd, and we have looked for, you know, keys to success as a, as a person is different than keys to success in an industry in our hotel investments. What has been a major key to success? Um, Acquiring the right assets at the right price. And so that was one of my most fulfilling things that I've done is I look at, you know, uh, 50 hotels a year for sale and maybe buy one and maybe buy none. Um, But we have learned what our formula can improve. So we've always looked for underperforming assets. Uh, We're with a small franchise group that we own a small piece of. Uh, we want to be able to put that name on them for the most part, and so we've we've learned to identify assets that we can go in add value to. When you add value to a real estate asset, all of a sudden your your debt isn't the eighty percent that you borrowed, but maybe now it's sixty percent of what it's worth, and oh, so you okay. created that cushion. And we have you know let me knock on wood here. Um, <laughs> we have we have not yet struck out in the you know, twenty properties we've uh acquired and still hold or have acquired and sold over the twenty plus years. Okay.
0: So, um, I mean, your strategy's working out. So you <laughs> can't say much about that. Uh do you have so any advice so for yep. yeah, do you have any advice for somebody who might mm-hmm. um have a tendency to have their eyes be a little bit bigger than their head kind of thing where they're always like, Oh, this is a great opportunity, but then you know, that's all they really think about, you know, I'm hinting, I'm talking about myself. (laughs) I I tend to do that. (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) well, and you got it, it's good to have big eyes and it's good to have enthusiasm and, but you have to, at the end of the day, business is numbers. And so I can't, there's a lot of things I can't speak to, you know, I don't know how to make it as a pro basketball player, but, but I have a little bit of an idea how to make it not just in hotels, but the hotel business is the real estate business really. Yeah. And, you, you have to understand the numbers. You have to understand your market as best you can. And then you have to understand your risk tolerance. Um, okay. And we again, we stepped out in the beginning with pretty high risk. But after we were established and could have been fine for life with those assets, then we grew conservatively. Um, we. Uh, took our funds and, and had a comfortable life, always had a nice home, took some fun trips, but wanted to grow at a certain pace and that was typically the priority. Okay, so you're talking about risk and
0: what's like the the simple definition of like risk? Is it just how much you have available to lose so you can risk more? Is that kind of the, the thought process behind it?
1: Risk is all about the... Uh, statistical uh, evaluation of whether an endeavor will or will not be successful and at what level. Okay. So if you're talking about uh, real estate assets, you have to look at, you know, the market, um, what turndowns there might be, uh, what upswing there might be, and how close to the edge you can walk. Um, okay. There are so many opportunities now with uh the sharing economy uh and all those things that you could start you know start there the the home that I sold that I you know gave a five thousand dollar down payment on a big old house in Salt Lake I renovated the basement and rented it out uh I shut off a door to an attic and rented it out, and I rented out a bedroom because it was a big old house, and I was single and um so those things allowed me to make the payment on that house. Now, what if, what if everybody moved out? Uh, it would have been pretty tight. Yeah. Um, so you want to make sure that, that you're covered. Now, sometimes I'll have people call and, and offer me odd deals on buying the hotels. And I, I don't say it, but I know it. They've been watching too many infomercials. <laughs> Okay, the guy that says, oh, you don't borrow and then, yeah, exactly. Take your equity out buy another one. Take your equity out. Okay. (laughs) And then then the market turns down and you lose it all. Um, So a relationship with your banker, being honest with them, they can give you guidance uh, and grow at a pace that you don't have to start over uh, is our best advice. It worked for us and it can work for others not brain surgery yeah so that was kind of
0: my next question is um you know you were talking about all these different types of numbers and statistics and things that you try to look at before uh committing to a deal um to me that sounds like a lot of numbers I'm like well, where do you get all these numbers is it is it like the banker is that your big number one person to get this data and these numbers or did you
1: have to find it on your own it is a lot of numbers and it comes back to educating yourself you know if i I said why do people why are people not successful as entrepreneurs or why do they not become entrepreneurs even though they talk about it and the first one is a lot of people don't have an interest in that you know they they like the paycheck you know they they either like their job or worst case can tolerate it and then the job just becomes an end to a means The means you know they, they want to enjoy their life. They do. Yeah. They get a, a paycheck that's enough to do that. It's all good. But people that, that talk about doing more and dream about doing more, first thing that keeps them from doing it is complacency. Okay. You know, it's just not motivating enough to, to you know, turn off Game of Thrones. You know, they're <laughs> not going to get. Then the second one is, is excuses. Yeah, well, I can't because. And some of those are real. And okay. you have to you have to filter out an actual concrete issue that you cannot overcome, and those things can happen, or just the fear of of you know being on your own. Yeah. Um, so excuses and fear. If you can filter through those, then lack of knowledge is okay. the next element that keeps people from being successful. Now, when I was working in the hotel group, um, you know I, I had. Uh, my bachelor's and was working on a master's it was a large hotel group with significant assets um i don't know of anybody else in that group what their educational experience was it just never okay. came up but the knowledge that i gained was of value okay. and so it is a degree a yeah, degree is nice to have and bankers like to see degrees um but knowledge is what's powerful And you can get knowledge on your own. Yeah, that's, you know, buying a hotel, it's more complicated than buying a duplex. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I've been running hotels. So let's say that you've been managing convenience stores. Okay. You probably know how much your sales need to be, how much you're going to have in shrinkage from theft and whatnot, you know, how much your markup is on gas. You're going to know those things. Well, that's the situation I was in. I've been running hotels. So, I learned while getting paid. Yeah, I went to college too, but, but I learned working for others. They're giving me a paycheck and I figure that out. This says, okay. I think okay. I could do that on my own. You know, what if somebody worked in a small uh, clothing store, a small boutique? If they paid attention, they could probably figure it out. And then one day yeah. branch out on their own. Oh, man. And you're is- getting paid for it while you learn. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Oh, man, that is so valuable.
0: Um, Okay, so we are actually out of time. I am so bummed because I could probably talk to you for another five hours. This stuff is so amazing. (laughs) Time went quick. (laughs) It did. It really did. Um, But what I want to hit on really quickly, Steve, is that you will actually be in Utah um, talking about, well, if you want to just kind of share really quickly um, what things you're going to be covering when you're here in Utah
1: doing these workshops. Yeah, we we've got a workshop and and I'm excited about it. Uh my son Bailey is is in the mortgage uh business and he asked if I'd come down and talk about it with people that that have their own aspirations, you know, want to hear some other stories. We're going to really talk about two things in the presentation. One is is self-employment, what that means. It it doesn't mean as we've already discussed that you got to leap with both feet right off the bat. There are, yeah, there are ways to wean into self-employment. <laughs> yeah. And then the other is is because real estate is what I know we're gonna talk a little bit about investing in real estate, how you might get started, uh, you know, what your first steps might be and, and what your yeah. long-term goals might be. So we're really excited to get with some some like-minded people and have some fun conversation. Yeah, I mean, the real estate market, the way it is right now, this is a very
0: pertinent topic, especially sort of, I think your strategy is very helpful for these sorts of times and you know the way that the real estate market is. So um, that'll be very, very valuable um this is tuesday october 18th from mm-hmm. 11 to 12 30. um i believe there are still spots available and i think bailey is taking care of um bringing people in and getting them signed up and stuff for that so um fantastic i'm very excited i'll be there as well um i think Great. it's i mean you've given so much knowledge here um and there's even more that will be available at this workshop so um Steve, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, hopefully we can do something like this again. Uh, I, I am amazed at the amount of knowledge that you have, and I'm super grateful that you're willing to come and, and share a little bit of it with us.
1: I enjoyed it. It was a fun experience and hope to talk with you soon.
0: All right. Um, so stay tuned for another episode of A Study and Think Podcast where we dive into the beliefs, mindsets, and um, ideas from awesome guests like Steve here Um, so come back and join us for another episode